Live. 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 Live from New York. This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me with freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Just End the Suffering podcast, featuring New York Sports Talk and One Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. This is our second episode of the week. We did our sports talk earlier in the week. I talked to Dan Wolken about the college football playoff. I did that week 17 picks with Alan Austin. Now we're going to have a special New Year's podcast. We're the first podcast of 2021. We're going to do the Pop Culture Year in Review in 2020. We did this in 2019 in person with our pop culture correspondent, Sandra Rosa, and our f- film critic, John Stanko. We cannot do it in person this time because of COVID. We did it on Zoom earlier in the week. You can check that out right after this. All right, we are back here on the podcast. Happy New Year, our first podcast of 2021. We are doing the pop culture year in review for 2020. We, this is so much fun. We can't let it be this, this completely damaged by 2020. This is going to be in your feeds, January 1, 2021. Joining me today, our tag team. We did this last year. First off, our pop culture correspondent, one of the podcast MVPs of 2020, Sam DeRosa. Sam, how are you? So yeah, I'm glad I got an MVP title. Feel extra special, but good. Thanks for having me. I'm super glad to be back. All right, Sam is back. Also back with us the first time since the Mandalorian premiere on this podcast. He's actually talking right now, doing some film critic stuff. We got him on a rare off day from work. John Stanko is here. John, how are you? Mike, how are you doing? I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to have the MVP Sam with me. Sam can back clean up. I'll bat ninth. That's fine. I'll just I'll just round the bases. She can knock him out the park. I, I, I feel like you're the leadoff guy on this team. I feel like you're just getting on there, getting on base, swiping all the bases, and then Sam driving us in. Fun fact, I hate batting leadoff. I hate it in slow pitch softball. I hate it in baseball. I hate it. Bat me last. I don't care. I hate hitting. I hate it. Bat <laughs> me last and let me play defense. That's fine. Where is your position in slow pitch softball? Oh, I'm the outfield, baby. I patrol. <laughs> yeah. I run around all over the place. Really? I'm put I'm putting catcher. They always put me for catcher, which is I guess a very female y uh position. Well, that's not true because you can chat up all the hitters and then you confuse them all and you dazzle them and then they strike out and slow pitch softball. So that is a superpower. I make friends with the refs and then they call things in my favor. I'm like, you guys thirsty? Do you need a drink? Do we need anything? Yeah. There we go. There you go. See, you have your powers. You can bribe them with you can bribe them with some coupons. Oh yeah, free outback coupons. (laughs) Yeah. You can bribe with coupons. And we are here today. We're going to talk about all the the fun things that happened in pop culture in what, the 2020 year, which admit, we did the preview of this last year. It was not at all we expected to happen, John. I feel like a lot of things just went off the grid. Well, it's safe to say there's a thing called COVID-19 that happened that really steered a lot of the pop culture direction uh, off a cliff. Yeah. So a lot of things were done on the fly this year, which I think we're going to see a lot of things were canceled and brought to light that got more attention than they deserved, in my opinion. Looking at you, Tyler. Uh, so I'm sure we're going to have some lively debates here. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I think I know exactly one of the things you're referencing. It got too much hype this year, but we'll get to it. We'll get to that. But for but for now, I think let's get started here. Let's talk about number one. I think we, as we did last year, we'll go to the Super Bowl. Last year, John could not remember who the halftime act was. John, remember who it is this year? Oh, of course. It was Shakira and J-Lo. 
Yeah. Of course I remember this year. <laughs> so John, since you remember, tell me your tell me your thoughts on it. Listen, I, I say this as objectively as a male, and I think as a human on this earth, that halftime show was awesome. I think male and female could appreciate what was on that stage and just the pure beauty and sexiness of it. I was hosting a Super Bowl party, and I tell you that of the 12 people in this room, pre-COVID, pre-COVID, everyone was stunned at silence during the show. And after it, everyone looked at each other going, that was marvelous. That was perfect. That is all. It was universal approval rating. Am I right, Sam? Universal. 100%. You got J-Lo, you got Shakira. Like, honestly, like, they can't let you down. They can't let you down. Yeah, so. Yeah, to anyone who didn't like it, get the stick out of your butt and just accept it for what it was. They did. They knew what they were doing. They knocked it out of the park. Continuing with the baseball references here. And everyone enjoyed it. So deal with it. It's going to be really, really, really hard to top. It is the most memorable halftime performance that I have seen. Really? I don't think this year is going to be anything near it. Yeah, this year coming up is the weekend. Who is this year's? The weekend. Yeah, I, I was just gonna say I don't even know who it is, but uh, thankfully Mike. Uh, you I, know, I googled it. I didn't remember. I didn't even know offhand. Oh. I don't know the weekend. I, I don't know the. They're very, they're very poppy. We'll say that. That's that's what I got. So they're going away from the J Lo Shakira direction, probably back towards the Coldplay direction. It didn't work out very well. How are they going to perform in an empty stadium or empty-ish because it's in Tampa? They'll allow people in the stands. But, like, that's still going to be really weird. It's a weird aesthetic as it is, performing in a giant arena, like, in that whole entire for just a 15-minute span. Now with 25% capacity, that's going to be a weird look. Plus, you know that at halftime, they always bring all the people down the field. and They're having the big rave concert on. They're not going to be doing that during COVID. Nope, can't have that this year. Good luck to the television producers trying to make that show look entertaining. I mean, it's lawless Florida. You you never know with Florida. That's that's the only like asterisk that you have there. Like we don't know what's gonna happen with yeah. on-field. Yeah. I'm gonna be dropping in. I'm gonna be dropping in the least valuable players throughout this whole entire podcast. And Florida is a least valuable player of 2020. Just Florida yeah. or Ron DeSantis? <laughs> you know what? You can go with both, but I'm just sticking to Florida for this one. Florida is a least valuable player of 2020, and on the whole. Yeah, we could say also, like, a, a shout out to our legal correspondent, Phil Fred, who is a noted anti-Ron DeSantis fan. So he will, he would, his pick would be Ron DeSantis for the LVP of 2020. I think we'll put the Super Bowl past us. Sam and I gave, gave high marks to the Super Bowl halftime podcast earlier this year. Let's talk about the other big pop culture event of the year, The Last Dance. John, you and I talked about this on the podcast. We talked about the finale. You gave the, you gave the whole thing, I think, an A on, on, the, on, the, uh, on the whole. So memories of The Last Dance. What was the fa- favorite thing that stuck out to you? Was this the ultimate cultural touchstone for 2020 in terms of all of society unifying around one thing? Was this 2020's version of Game of Thrones? I think Everybody it might be. I know watched this or had a take on it, yeah. whether they be a sports fan or not. So, and the amazing thing is they pushed this out months before it was supposed to even come out. And it still left probably the biggest stamp on culture in 2020. So I got to give credit to the last dance. It still stands the test of time. Still an A for me. Remarkable achievement this year. Yeah, a little bit of a backstory on the last dance. They announced this last year. They said, okay, it's going to come out and, and the week of the NBA Finals. going to do it 10 nights in a row. COVID happens. Everything, all the sports get canceled. And ESPN says, hey, we need this now. Get it ready. So we get five nights, in, Sunday nights in a row, two-hour blocks. I did these on the podcast the whole time. John did the finale with me. I think it's held up very well. Sam, you did not talk about the last dance on the air with me. What did you think about it as, as it was happening? 
It was great. Like I like was so excited because I, I work Sunday nights. So I would have it on my little DVR and I come home and then I like watch it when I got home. Like I would want to stay up to watch it. I was very excited to see it. But um, funny enough, I felt like it was so long ago this happened. Like I'm like last dance wasn't that last year, but I can't believe it was in 2020, which I'm, I'm sure I'll have the same remark on other things we talk about this year. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's one of my favorite. I've actually rewatched it a second time just to get like the whole feel for it again. Yeah, and John, one of the things I remember too about this was just like, it was one of those rare things where it's like, you wanted to watch it in the real time. You did not want to catch it on the DVR if you could avoid it. Where like, I remember every Sunday night, nine o'clock, I was just sitting in front of ESPN, having that on and live tweeting it. And that was the biggest live tweeting thing I think since Game of Thrones, like you said. Yeah, I, I, that's what I'm saying. It, it being the cultural touchstone, everybody wanted wanted to tune into this. People were coming out with stories and debating things on Twitter. It was basically like the first take of culture. Everyone was had a different take on the flu game or on Scottie Pippen's contract or the moments of the documentary that were just utterly remarkable. Like when MJ talked about competition and he literally started crying because he loves competition so much. Like that whole entire sequence of two minutes beautifully edit, edited footage like it was remarkable and all of the internet was in love with that at the same time do you mind also the last dance gave gifs and memes galore that are going to be used past 2020 so i want to ask you mike and you sam your favorite gif or meme to come out of the last dance oh my god how can you pick just one like that's the thing i have yeah john you you can go you can go with yours first i i can try to pick between the two i have well, mine is the the I take I took that personally meme. <laughs> I love it whenever somebody says something and then they like have a monster game the next day. Like like uh, recently, Luca didn't play that great in the first two games, and the Mavericks beat uh, the Clippers by fifty. And like Luca took that personally just with that meme. Like I love the I took that personally meme. It's fantastic. Yeah, I think for me, that was one of the two I had on there. The other one was all anytime you see Michael Jordan make like bug eyed reactions to like people talking about him on the iPad, those are always my favorite memes. Yeah. Do you guys care? Uh, do you guys care if I play one of my favorite moments of the, from the last from the last dance on the podcast? I just still have it on the soundboard. Go ahead, Mike. Okay, we're gonna go back to the premiere of this. We're gonna go back to the traveling cocaine circus. We gotta relive this one a minute. So this is the traveling cocaine circus. I've been cocaine circus. <laughs> <laughs> I never read that. Okay. <laughs> Accurate. Ah, uh, look, guys were doing things that I didn't see. I had one event preseason. I think we were in Peoria. It's in a hotel, so I'm trying to find my teammates. So I start knocking on doors. I get to this one door, and I knock on the door, and I can hear someone says, shh, someone's outside. And then you hear this deep voice says, who is it? I says, MJ. Oh, and then they all say, oh, fuck, he's just a rookie. Don't worry about it. So they open up the door. I walk in, and oh, practically the whole team was in there. And it was like things I've never seen in my life, you know, as, as a young kid. Yeah, you got all, you got your lines over here, you got your weed smokers over here, you got your women over here. So the first thing I said, look, man, you know, I'm out. You know, because all I can think about if they come and raid this place right about now, I am just as guilty as everybody else that's in this room. And from that point on, you know, I was more or less on my own. 
I think this was great just because you know that members of that team, Sam, were just sitting at home with their families having to explain what the hell Michael Jordan was just talking about. I love it. It felt like um, in like college, you know what I mean? Like yep. you're in a dorm room and then like the RA comes on. It's like, hello. It's like, who is it? Like <laughs> nothing's going on in here. I just thought it was like really funny. And it's like, so, it's something that we would never get outside of that documentary from like anybody. And only like Michael Jordan can be the one to like say that. Yeah. to like america and it'd be like whatever nobody cares you know what i mean like yeah. he can get away with it he like lets everybody else off the hook it's great i just i thought it was so funny yeah john one thing i loved about the last dance also was like yes it's michael jordan's story and we do follow michael jordan throughout but i did like that they made certain episodes about certain people like episode two was the scotty pippen episode we had dennis robin phil jackson even steve kerr got like a spotlight in one of the last episodes i did like that we got a little flush out of everybody why does he was incredibly powerful. He talked about his family and how he can play. And I obviously didn't know the Steve Kerr story. So when that came out, that was profound. And I remember people getting emotional on the internet and it was emotional to watch. Uh, so that was a really entertaining watch. Uh, and then also, I did, I frankly, I didn't know a lot about Scotty Bippen and his whole contract scenario, how he milked an injury and then decided to get surgery at the last minute. MJ was pissed about it. Interesting relationship there that had more levels to it than I thought. And then I ever knew. Uh, which the last dance kind of shined a light on. Yeah, I think that was definitely fun. The one thing we I think we have to touch on before we move on from the last dance is obviously the controversy around the flu game because that was the big thing that came out of the finale because MJ came out and said, nope, it was not the flu. I got I got spiked pizza. Somebody gave me food poisoning. And that's the account they're all sticking with. I had Sam Smith on the podcast. He disputed that. John's already heard this take. He said that he thought it was altitude sickness because they were staying down in the, mount- in the mountains and they flew up for the games. Sam, is somebody who is not involved in this, whose side of the debate do you fall on with the with the flu game? I mean, honestly, you don't want to, like, go against Michael Jordan, so you're going to want to be like, yeah, it's the pizza, because that's what he said. But, like, I haven't heard that many people getting sick from eating pizza, but then again, I haven't had anything, any good pizza outside of the tri-state area, so I'm just going to have to leave it at that. <laughs> John, any thoughts? Because I know that you had a hot take on back in May when we were talking about this. I think now looking back on it, I think one of the theories I heard that I actually liked was cigar smoke because he was a big cigar guy. If he was chilling in the hotel room smoking cigars and that cigar smoke, you take down an extra coffee, you're not supposed to mixing that with food. I can understand how that would upset your stomach. So that was probably the theory that I go with now. But again, I don't know who to believe in this. People are telling different stories. I want to believe the legend of the flu game just because that's a fun story to hear. And I kind of want to let that legend live on. Yeah, I know this is me personally being a little biased towards the guest I had on. I'm going to side with Sam Smith on the altitude sickness. I think that's my personal belief on it. I feel like the, the pizza narrative, it's a fun narrative to tell in the story. And it's a sexier sell than, oh, I had I was sick because I was going between the heights of, of my hotel and the arena. I think the pizza game, and it, I, got, I got poisoned by, by uh, spiteful jazz fans, is more fun to tell. So I understand why they went that way. Well, either way, it was a conversation point on the internet, and now people are still debating it to this day. So credit to The Last Dance for bringing up history that was 20 years ago and now making people remember it. Yeah, they did. And let's go on to a little bit of the broadcast TV, because obviously there was not much happening because a lot of shows got shut early because of the pandemic. It was the year of reality TV and the year of the game show. Let's start with the reality TV because John and Sam are both huge Bachelorette fans, and this season had one of the biggest controversial twists of all time. I'll let you two go. John, set us up here. Tell us a bit what happened your thoughts. 
All right. Well, first, before we start on the, the Clacia season, Sam, me and you talking here, mm-hmm. can we agree that Pete the Pilot was a terrible season of The Bachelor and he was incredibly boring and that should just be shunned away from that franchise? Do we agree with uh, that? Yeah, 100%. It was such a disappointment. That entire season was such a disappointment. It was, it was so, so, so bad. It, so bad. Screw you, Barb. Barb, you suck. Barb, you're an awful human. Oh, uh, yeah. She should take some serious lessons on the other Bachelor, like, Bachelorette contestants' parents. Like, she needs to take how to write down notes. Exactly. But anyway, Sam, the, the Clacia season, can we agree that Tasha is a godsend? And her, frankly, I'm going to say this, and I mean it, her boobs should be a national monument because they <laughs> are possibly a most valuable player of 2020. Again, universal approval rating from my girlfriend, from her mom, from everybody agreeing that Tasha is stunningly gorgeous and she knocked it out of the park. Oh my God, yeah. And I was like, if anybody breaks this girl's heart, like, I hate them. Like, no, I don't even care how great you are. Like, you cannot break her heart because she's like an amazing I don't even know her personally I'm like she's just amazing I just wish I was her you know what I mean now I want to ask you as a fan of the show uh big theme was that there were older men on the show mm-hmm. because they were there for Claire Claire went with Dale don't know if they're still together don't really care because I didn't like Claire and sure, Dale Claire. frankly Dale creeped me out just he's creepy <laughs> but like you gotta think the older guys kind of played to the show I think really excelling especially in the COVID times of like stability and like being emotionally vulnerable and understanding like your own faults and growing upon them it was like the most unveiling season of the bachelorette i can remember in terms of the older guys being vulnerable definitely and then on top of that like who she ended up with i'm not trying to do spoilers i know it's kind of recent well, i can but put like, this i put the spoiler warning up if you guys want to talk about it so i thought like i set this alarm off yeah so we'll set the alarm off <coughs> all right you are clear if you have not watched the bachelorette you can go skip ahead about two minutes. So I really love Zach. Like Zach was like, he had the best proposal. I feel like ever in bachelor slash bachelorette history. Like, I feel like he was like the most genuine and everything. And like, you really rooted for him, but I feel like I rooted for more than one person. And I feel like maybe like the age and the maturity helped with that. The only person who I really didn't like by the end was Ben because he really, he just started annoying me going, like yeah you screwed up yeah you screwed up own it like don't come back because you made a mistake like it's like you can say the same thing about bennett bennett got creepy by the end but he was so funny when he was in the show originally that he earned goodwill in my graces so it's fine my favorite is like it's like when you like if you don't it's like you live long enough if you don't see yourself the hero you're the villain or whatever that saying is that's bennett right there slash he's the american psycho because he's like and he's from new york i'm just like he murders people but i love him like it's he was great for his like little time. And then I'm just like, oh, Bennett, come on. Like, but yeah. we all knew who he was. So it's just like, why are we surprised? And he gave Noah that gift. Oh my God. I was hiding underneath a pillow in a blanket going, I can't watch this. Meanwhile, my girlfriend who loves cringe comedy is going, this is the funniest thing alive. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm there going, oh my God. I want to die in a hole and never come out ever again. No, I couldn't, I couldn't watch it either. I was like, I wish I could fast forward live TV. It was so bad. It was so bad. But regardless, fantastic season. Saved the franchise. And now I'm excited for Matt James. Matt James is a stud. I'm excited for probably a little bit more drama with the girls being contestants because, frankly, they end up not liking each other as much as the guys, like, love each other by the end of The Bachelorette. But I'm very excited for January 4th. I'm stoked. 
Well, like last year, it was like um, with Victoria when she dated that like ex like country singer or whatever. I don't listen to country yeah. music, so I don't really know who he is. Chase she, Rice, like, right? The what? Was it Chase Rice? Am I remembering I, that right? I feel like it's the name is definitely Chase. I feel like you're right. Mm, all right. Yeah. Anyways, carry on. But um, it's just like the bachelorette or the bachelor producers work hard or the devil works hard but the bachelor producers work harder like i'm just like i feel like whoever's on the bachelor i feel like they have to be different producers because i feel like the bachelor producers are just like a little nicer just a little kinder and a little softer and i feel like that's nice but like the bachelor ones were like let's cause chaos like it's great i also think the bachelorette contestants as a whole the girls who are on the show to find love like when they're the center point they know what they want more than the guy bachelor because guy you get dazzled by pretty things and it's you're a million different places and the producers can play more games with you because you don't know what you want so to the female gender like you guys know what you want so the producers can't play with you as much on the bachelorette but come the bachelor there's going to be drama no doubt oh 100 yeah so i'm definitely gonna i'm i'm gonna be intrigued I'm, i might actually check this out i know you two have both told me to watch it so i may d- dive in the pool this year and see what see what all the hubbub is about while you were talking, I did look up the Chase Rice situation because I know that name because believe it or not, I was actually contesting back on Survivor back in like 2010-ish, 2011. And then I looked him out the Bachelorette. Apparently, he was like used to date like Victoria or whoever it was. And then they brought him in oh, for a concert. It was him. It was him. Yeah, yeah. It was great. It was yeah. such a great producing work. It was. It was. It was so awful to watch, though. But so cringe. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I did not think we were getting a Chase Rice shout out in this podcast. I will say that was why I did not have on the bingo card. <laughs> you never know what you're gonna get on the just end the suffering podcast mike you never know you, you definitely don't know but i do know i want to talk on more on the reality tv as well because like obviously i'm the big cbs guy they had a fun year on the shows they the survivor had the all winners a season that was a great show amazing race john did you know they had two former nfl players on it this year no i haven't watched the amazing race since i was in high school and i would try to stay up late and watch as much as possible with my parents yeah and get past my early bedtime yeah but that show, is that the longest running reality TV show? Is it that or Survivor? Survivor, Sur- Survivor is Survivor. 40 seasons. Amazing Race just finished their 32nd. Remember D'Angelo Williams, the running back, and Gary Barney's the tight end? They were D'Angelo a- Williams on the Panthers, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, he and his former teammate Gary Barney ran the race. They finished in fourth place, and it was they were a lot of fun. We learned a lot of things. Like Gary Barney apparently is a big art guy. He's very cultured, and D'Angelo is making memes all over the internet. Like, it's a shock faces. They got eliminated at a twist at the end, and I love D'Angelo for this because basically they were there were three other teams. They've been in alliance most of the race. They turn like the alliance turn on them at the end because obviously you know gotta get to the end of the race. He at the end gets so pissed when Phil Kogan asked him. He's like, "Hey, did you have fun?" He's like, "No, I did not have fun in this race." He's like, "I I could do this myself. I could spend the money and run this whole race myself." And Gary Barnes like, I bet you he would have had fun if he won. Yeah, he's a competitor. Yeah. I got to find the clip for this. I'll send you a link to this, but they were a lot of fun on the race this season. So Gary and D'Angelo finished fourth place. They were my things. I like tough as nails on CBS. They had average people basically like from like, you call them essential workers, like basically trying to show like how tough they are. That was fun, a fun show as well. But I also am a big game show guy. John, as you can see, I'm rocking the supermarket sweep sweatshirt here right tonight. So I know we said you did not watch it in the summer. Do you get to check out any of this? I did not, unfortunately. Again, I'm just I'm not a big Leslie Jones fan. So I was not I was not compelled to watch the reboot. Though again, according to the the commercials that it was very well renowned and it was very well watched, which I can believe. 
but I just never got into it. The only game show thing I could really contribute is that I kind of refill in love with Jeopardy a bit. Yeah. Uh, at the end of this year, uh, I think the passing of Al Trebek definitely had an effect on it. But my girlfriend and I started watching it more regularly before The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. So that was that's kind of the only game show that I really kind of refell in love with this year. Because there's no better feeling than getting Final Jeopardy right and everyone else getting it wrong. There is no better feeling in the world. You will never be more confident than when than when that happens. Did you watch the Jeopardy like tournament of ch- like all time tournament of champions back oh, in January? I did do that. I did do that. Yeah, I did. Because yes. that was one thing I completely forgot was this year because they had that beginning of the year with uh, James Holzauer, Kent, like Brad Rutter, and Ken Jennings. And Brad just kept getting owned because Brad couldn't get a single dollar in any of the Jeopardy categories. But here's the thing is that Brad kind of owned it. He's like, this is what it is. They yeah. are coming out. This is a question for you, Mike, because you are a broadcast TV game show guy. Yes. There's a new show coming out, The Chase, which has the three of them. In and it. It's trivia related. Yes. So I'm intrigued because I love trivia, but I don't necessarily love broadcast TV game shows. So I'm probably going to give it a shot. I'm not going to miss I'm going to like it. But because it's trivia, it involves those three, which thunders around Jeopardy, I'm probably going to watch it. I will be there. I will be there on premiere, and I will see if it's worth sticking around. I don't know about the Celebrity Wheel of Fortune beforehand, but, you know, like, they, they need to fill airtime. Here's my take. Wheel of Fortune. Trash. <laughs> I hate Wheel of Fortune. I can never win. It makes me so pissed. Like, I can never, I never, I'm so bad at it. Jeopardy, I'm like, certain categories, I kill it. I kill it, because trivia. I love trivia. I'm full of useless knowledge. But, like, when it comes to, like, filling in, like, words, I'm like, oh, my God, it could be, like, 30 words. I'm, like, the worst. I could never go on that show. Yeah, and as far, go back to the supermarket for a second. Sam and I did this on the podcast. We had fun with her from here. It was a lot of fun, and... I got to play, like, a couple of sound clips for John Stankos. No, he's not a Leslie Jones fan. I'll see if I get a laugh at him on a couple of these. So Sam has heard these. But this is also one of the twists on the supermarket suite during the big sweep is they have to have a chance to fill Leslie Jones's personal shopping list. And she gives them three items. They collect all three. They get 500 bucks on their total. So this is the, the sweep list, shopping list from the premiere. Let's hear Leslie Jones's shopping list for John. And I'll give you an extra $500 if you can bring me the following items from my personal Shopping list. I'm having a me night tonight. So I want a Glade scented candle, a spatula, and a cucumber. Don't ask me what none of it's for. It's me night. <laughs> I saw a little smile out of John there. I see uh, the innuendo for broadcast TV there. So clever job by the producers to try and get some talking points there. You want innuendo? I got another one for you. There is well, a- okay, my, my thing, though, is that if you want to do that, why not just like put it on like a more like Put it on later at night so you can get away with that joke and make it more around it. They're trying to play around because they want to have the family audience, but also try and shoot this, the humor in there, keep the adults engaged. That's what I think they're trying to do. I see what they're trying to do. I just don't need to like it. Yeah, there's also another one. They have a an actor there. They have, have like these side characters played by like comedians to sort of like fill out characters in the store. And there's was one cashier named DC who basically is a perv. And I'll give you... Every at the end of before they ch- check out the big sweet totals, Leslie Jones talks to DC and he gives them like some weird quote every night. So here's DC from the premiere. Okay, time to check out the goods, right, DC? Hey, if you got the goods, I'll check them out. Oh. Wow, that just wow, feels yeah. so dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I see the disapproving smile from John. That I just didn't like. That was just bad. That yeah. that would make me change the channel. The other <laughs> one, I get it. I can smile. I'll acknowledge it. That, me and DC, no. No. So you, so you see DC in real life, you're walking the other way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Sam, any thoughts on the DC after, like, a couple of months after the fact? I mean, it's just weird. Uh, it's funny because before you played the clips, I was trying to get in like, I bet you Stanko's going to cringe it at yeah. least or both of them. Yeah. So I didn't think that was going to be up your alley. But you know what I mean? Eh, it's funny for like a hot second, but not DC's comments. That's just a little uh, it's a little, a, little, a little much. It went over the top. It went over the top. Mm hmm. Although I will say, I I'm in, I enjoy it. It's nice I have on the background doing some work. I do get some laughs occasionally, and I think it's gonna be fun. See if they revive it in season two. See if it's going on there. But yeah, I was I don't begrudge anyone for liking it. You can have your type of comedy if there's a reason it's there. There's a reason it's popular. It just doesn't fill the stankle pool of interest for yeah. me personally. I just like because I would because I would kick ass in that game. I used to work in a grocery store, so I know all the tricks. Oh, so that's why Mike likes it. it's competitive for him. I, yeah. I, he's yelling at the contestants as they're running down the aisles. Yeah, there was there was one there's one time on this show where there was like one contestant who like he was kind of just lollygagging around la di da in the supermarket and like Leslie Jones is, does like announcing over the PA and she's losing her mind and the editors had fun with it. They basically and Sam knows it, and when they do the they used to do the go 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 fast music. They changed music up and had this slow, like, elevator music playing when this guy was shopping and no clue what he was doing. And Leslie Jones ripped him a new one after the, after she came out at the end. It was great. I love that. that he didn't win. I'm assuming that he didn't win. No. No. Most of these totals in the sweep are usually like, oh, you need like $3,000, $4,000 of groceries to win. He got $700,000. And she was like, he's like, like, kid, that's not going to win the 90s show, let alone right now. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah. See, I really wish you like Leslie Jones. I know she's like a little like in your face, yeah. But I think she's so funny. Like, there's something about her I just like thoroughly enjoy. Yeah, there. I think, she, I think she's good within a scene or like when she's not, when she's part of an ensemble. I'm not a fan when it's just her in a room doing her own thing. I think she needs to be working off other people, other comedians, I should say. Well, I have a Leslie Jones project for you later on that you might like, and that's a tease. We're going to get there, but we'll go to HBO next, which is much more up John's alley, because I think this was, again, I think in terms of MVP candidates for 2020, HBO's got to be high up on the list. HBO is up there, for sure. I know the first show you're going to talk about that you sent us on the rundown is McMillions. I'm going to be honest, I had to go back and look when this was released. I thought <laughs> this was 2019, and I thought this was that long ago, and I was like, wow. Like, this kind of like, it was good. I remember watching it, like, very quickly after the release, if not on the night of. But, yep. man, oh, man, this felt like eons ago for McMillions. You want to know when McMillions ended? Uh, March? Yes. Like, I was – the finale era, we were in Atlantic City for the Mac tournament. That's when it aired. Oh, my God, you're right. Actually, <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, because I remember – Yeah. It was right before the craziness started. It was like McMillions was going on. Very, we talked about it on the 100th episode, how fun it was. And Sam even started watching it. Sam, what did you think about it? I really liked it. Um, you know how I'm a Jacksonville Jaguars fan, so I in lawless Florida. We keep on. I keep my little like you know line here. But um, I thought it was like so interesting. And like you know, as much as it wasn't nice, and they like stole a bunch of money, like really smart. Like I was just like, I wish I thought of that. I would go to jail for the, like a couple million dollars. Like that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry, I did not be a part of it. But then also, I didn't remember that that happened. Like, I remember being younger and being like, oh, that McDonald's Monopoly thing is a scam because we're all around the same age. But I don't remember, like, this being a really – it's an actual huge scam, like, unless you had the tickets from the guy, you wouldn't have won. But I yeah. remember being, like, younger, maybe just because it was in the paper or something. But 
I just was like, wow. I just remember being younger, being like, yo, this stuff, this isn't real. Like you won't win. But I was just like, where did that come from? Yeah, you know, I never think I'm gonna win at any of those things. Right away, I was a kid, like playing off the Mountain Dew. I never thought I was going to win. So I, I had my first McDonald's meal this year in about a decade. No joke. Stopped on the yeah. way to a basketball game. Me and Byer were starving, and I got McNuggets. Yeah, it was the first McDonald's food I've had in a decade. Yeah. Oh my god! If you buy my dad a Big Mac, he'd be like so excited. That's his like favorite thing. Is like a Big Mac. When we were younger, he'd be like, no, 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 no. You get the chicken nuggets. You get the kids meal. I'm allowed the Big Mac. And you can like look at it, but you can't taste it. <laughs> like, he, like he loved the Big Mac and everything. And and fun fact for not me, Sam DeRosa, the older Sam DeRosa. The OG. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay, <laughs> but he um he literally uh, will can tell you about like one of the first McDonald's, like the one in Larchmont, like you know, pick his brain about McDonald's because he'll he'll talk about it for hours. I'll do that tomorrow. I shoot around. I'll get him talking. Oh my god! Don't tell him I told you. I'll be like, yeah, I was talking about McDonald's. I was thinking about McDonald's, and he'd be like, oh, fun fact, you know, yeah. McDonald's. I was at the first one. I was in Boy Scouts. Like he'll go on for it for like forty five minutes. I'm sorry. That's very sex. Like that's very small niche of like yeah. your listeners here who know who my father is, but <laughs> for those of you who are in that subset, definitely go find, if you know him, find him and talk to him about, talk to you about it. Yeah. I kind of mm-hmm. sound like Draco Malfoy. Like <laughs> wait till my father hears about this. Yeah. <laughs> I just gave myself Draco Malfoy yeah. vibes. <laughs> yeah. Let's go on for McMillions. I want to talk about curb your enthusiasm. I don't know if either of you are big Kurt fans, but like this season was fun. It was a simpler plot. We had Larry David and Mocha Joe played by Severio Guerra. Basically we were, he opened a spike coffee shop. That was the whole plot of the season because he was trying to spike Mocha Joe's coffee. It was very fun. The best thing that was relevant to us New York sports fans is they did a whole episode talking about how the Jets ruined people's lives. Well, for you, that's very, very personal. Very personal for you. It's very relevant. They ruined 2020 for most of us. Well, the fact that also they don't have the first pick anymore and Sam's Jacksonville Jaguars do brings me so much joy in the world. <laughs> it brings oh, me- that's so mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... I was- Mike, maybe they can suck like we suck. Like, yeah. I was giving him hope for, like, the shittiness of the football season. No, my my Jets have done this for my entire life. They will find a way. They'll be bad for most of the season. Then when they don't need it, oh, now we're going to play well and win two, three games is knock our draft spots down, like, five picks. Five picks. But, but honestly, like, the Jacksonville Jaguars still have to pick him. They haven't picked him yet. Like, they still They're going to pick him. <laughs> okay, they could pick him, but there's still, like, that small percentage of, like, you know what? We have like three quarterbacks. Like we don't need them. Like we're good. You know what I mean? Like they still can mess it up. You can't until until the day is over. Until their first like draft pick is done and set in the books, can we say that they're okay? But for right now, I still don't trust them. As an avid fan, I still don't trust them. Yeah, and speaking of the Jets, this is our we want our few forays in the sports talk here. I sent John a link earlier today. Apparently, the Patriots may want to hire Adam Gase after the Jets fire him. So, John, any thoughts on that? I listen, I wouldn't do it, but I cannot tell you the amount of joy I would get if Adam Gase was part of the Patriots rebuilding a winning team in the Jets' face. I cannot tell you the joy I would have talking to Steve Culto about the quarterback guru, Adam Gase, bringing the Patriots back to relevancy while the Jets still linger in fourth place in the AFC East. It would bring me so much joy, Mike Phillips. Now, with that being said, I would say, please don't. don't <laughs> but looking at the silver lining, 
I would get so much joy out of how angry my fans friends would be. Yeah, like oh they, just like they were in Curb, because literally one of their fans just like they made it a point that one of Larry's friends named Carl got so destroyed after a Jets loss, they literally just died. That was the plot of the episode. Was then Larry was looming about how the Jets ruin lives. Oh my god. I have to I have to really watch this show. I've seen like episodes here and there, but this is just like furthering my want to watch the show. And that's a good standalone episode. You don't need to see the rest of the plot. Like it's just you can just watch it and not really care about the rest of this stuff. You have a great guest appearance on Jane Krakowski as Carl's widow, who Larry David tries to get with as a Patriots fan, so then all sorts of fun ensues. And John, they reference the Austin Ferry and Jenkins fumble play. That's a big plot point in the episode. I okay. All right. Again, I, I am not tuned into Curb because I am terrible with cringe humor. I have a hard time watching it, which I feel like that is all of Curb. That, it, that is just, that is what it is. But I heard this season, this newer season, was an improvement upon the one prior. Yes. So I, for Curb fans, I know yourself and a couple others I know, they were happy with the improvement this, this year, 2020. Yeah, shout out to Martino Puccio who did some Curb recaps with me on this podcast. So he talked. we talked a lot of Curb. Let's go on to something we both talked, we all talked about on this podcast. Westworld season three also happened. That's another one I forgot happened until I went back in my archive and saw what we talked about this year. And I know the season started off okay, kind of went in the middle and then had a decent ending. I'll go to each of you. John, you first. Westworld thoughts. My first thought was to watch the show. Uh, you put it on the rundown. I looked back at it and I was like, I don't remember if there was a single thing I truly enjoyed about season three. The only things I remember about or were the disappointments I had, like uh, the final showdown between Dolores and Maeve, I just was, I thought was anticlimactic. And I thought the season finale was just, I thought it was bad. Uh, so I don't know. I'm probably still going to watch it to, to hate watch it and to see the internet get frustrated by it because the show looks really pretty. That's kind of the only positive thing I remember now looking back on it. But I think we all wanted season three to be back like season one, a lot like how True Detective. Oh, season one is still by far the best. It's not even remotely close. And while season three was better than season two, I still wouldn't call it necessarily good television. It's expensive television, very expensive, but not very good. Sam, any thoughts on Westworld season three? So funny enough, I'm not going to be doing like, I was like, I have to go in this just straight up like play and like, you know, I'm not going to be like reviewing what happened in Westworld because I was just like, I want, I want to give my honest take, like everything honest, everything like upfront and blunt, like who I am. And I'm just like, wow, like, first off, Westworld 2019, I remember like, this is what I look forward to because it was like complete quarantine. It felt like when um, Mike was like, hey, can you do like a Westworld podcast? But I'm just like, I was really disappointed about who the stupid brains were. I was like, oh, they're all different characters. This is going to be great. We're going to bring different like characters back. No, it's all Dolores. Like, I mean, love, you know, love Dolores. But but I just wanted one to be Teddy. I just wanted one to be, um, what's her face? Uh, the really like pretty one who became like Maeve's second, the second mistress now that the main like brains. Clementine. Out. Clementine, thank you. I was like, she's a fruit, but like, <laughs> um, I couldn't think of it. Um, but like, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I always root for Maeve. I don't care what happens to Maeve. As long as Maeve lives, will I continue to watch this show? But, you know, all in all, I didn't mind as long as it was better than season two that I feel like that was 
hopefully that was Westworld's rock bottom. Yeah. But um, hopefully it's just on and upwards, onwards and upwards uh, from here for that show. John, you weren't a fan of Marshawn Lynch's character giggles. What? You weren't a fan of Marshawn Lynch on that show? Uh, I actually I remember I liked his shirt because his shirt changed his mood. Yes, it did. And I remember thinking that was clever and funny because it meant you didn't have to do a lot of talking, which was smart by the by the producers and the creators of the show. Less more more just acting like Marshawn, less actual acting. Yeah. So credit to producers for that. So that was good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Like I thought it was fine. I thought it could like, season two was a dumpster fire. Although I also want to thank Sam for not attempting to review what happened in season three. If you don't have all night to do this because they had, did a lot of things. No. Yeah. There's so much stuff that happens. Yeah. So much stuff. Yeah. And they only did it in eight episodes. They packed so much in. They packed so much in. I they, don't know. They re- I'm, I'm going to continue watching. I don't know when it's coming back. Probably 2022. And... So we, we, we Wait, won't have to do this next year. I'll forget so much more about what happened in two seasons, two years between seasons. Great. Yeah. That's what they do. I think they do that, sh- that stuff on purpose. Like the first season I had to rewatch for season two, and then I had to rewatch seasons one and two to watch three. Now I'm going to have to watch one, two, and three to watch four. I feel like it's a ploy. That's it's something a little shady behind there. They're like, a, oh, the numbers. Like It's a scam. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, let's go to some docs, some more docs real quick. John, I know you watched The Val. You were a big fan. Yeah, The Val was really, really good. Strongly recommend it. Um, I do think it overstated its welcome by probably two or three episodes. Uh, overextended itself to, I believe, nine episodes, which is a wee bit too many. Um, but it did get me interested in that group Nexium and the story behind them and, frankly, the craziness that goes on with the – the money laundering scheme that it is and the, just the fake promises that it gives. It's absolutely crazy. Um, so it is longer than it, than it should be. But with that being said, they left it on a great cliffhanger for season two, which is supposed to be coming out in 2021 with seven episodes, not nine. So excited for the condensed season. Yeah, for sure. I recommend it to people though. I will admit like episodes five, six, and seven definitely drag just a smidge. Good to know because I have not. It's on my queue. I haven't gotten there yet. One I did check out in the real time. I know you were also a fan of this, and I think Sam started watching as well. I'll be gone in the dark. The documentary about Michelle McNamara, the who helped track down the Golden State, the uh, Golden State Killer. Sam, I know you watched it after the fact. What did you think of it? I really liked it. Um, I don't know if you guys remember what was it like July or August. We yeah. had that big blackout for like two days. At least I lost all my cellular and. I had no power in my apartment for like a week. So I came up here to escape that. Um, I watched that for like a whole two days and I thought it was an amazing, I I, I just really liked it. Cause first off, I didn't really listen to pot like true crime podcasts until like a year ago. Um, so she was on the forefront of that. Um, I just thought I, and I didn't know anything about it. I didn't really even know this happened to be honest with you. Uh, so I was really excited and I just thought it was a great story to tell. Um, even through like you with the help of Pat and Oz, Oz, Oswald. Yeah. Yeah. I always feel like I say his name wrong. Yeah. Pat and Oswald with her husband. Like they did a good job talking to all the people involved in it. I think it's a good listen if you want to listen and how she went through all this effort, went through all the paperwork and helped them actually found enough clues out the police track down this killer after about 40 years. Very impressive. Very big, very good story. When you agree, John? 
I, I totally agree. I think it, it shows kind of the, the peril of diving into something so dark, which I think not many people kind of understand or even think about. Uh, and I think this kind of shined a light on that that nobody expected. I personally didn't expect so much of the story to center around Michelle herself, like as a person. And well, I think this may be like part of me wish they focused more on the killer itself and his motivations and what happened. But with that being said, I think the, the main thing I take away from it is what Michelle went through to get that book done. And they finished it in her honor. Uh, and it makes you feel for Patton Oswald. I mean, he literally dropped off the coffee. She was still alive. And then he comes back and she's passed away. Like that's remarkably sad and dark to think about. Like someone can just be taken away like that. So I think it shined a light that when you dive into the darkest pieces of a person's mind of a psychopath, it can affect you really in the mental and physical way. So uh, I'll be gone in the dark. Great thing. It's not going to be gone from my memory because it's one of the best docs I saw this year. Yeah, indeed. Let's wrap up HBR real quick. John, I know you checked out Lovecraft Country. Any thoughts on that? Bailed on it. Bailed on it. Bailed on it. Bailed on it hard. When it got halfway through the season and it just got too freaking bonkers, man. It got it went off the deep end in terms of like fantasy and stuff. And and I and I bailed on it. Because I real I watching four episodes, I really liked one enjoyed one more and then I didn't like two out of the four so I was like why am I going to keep watching a show where I've only really liked one of the first four episodes so I bailed on it I have not finished it on the scale of like Westworld falling off the cliff how far did they go not as bad as Westworld but that being said I still finished Westworld that's the crazy thing is I still felt a connection to Westworld but like the like Lovecraft Country it tried being so many different genres and it couldn't decide what it was and so I just, I completely, I completely bailed on it. Westworld knows what genre is trying to be. It just really messes up trying to follow that path. Lovecraft Country doesn't know what path it wants to take. That's that's certainly fair. I'll throw out one more honorable mention for HBO. And I was on the documentary train. I checked out Murder on Middle Beach. That was a documentary. They, they had a four episode run, like in the middle of the fall. It's about this kid who like, like graduated college, his thesis project, like similar to ours. He did a documentary, except he did it on his mother's murder. And it was like she she was murdered when he was in high school, like finishing college. And then the t- amount of different conspiracy theories he unravels in his family. And there's all sorts of like weird money things going on. There's like Ponzi schemes involved. We have different family suspects going on. Like it was bonkers. Like I'm watching. You have you could watch about 15 different suspects about who in this family could be involved in the death, which is pretty nuts. So I recommend it. That show is in my HBO queue. No joke. It's on my my list or whatever to eventually watch. I just haven't gotten there yet. I recommend it stays in there. I will take okay. Lovecraft Country out of, out of mine then, based on your recommendation. I Listen, you may like it. It just wasn't for me. Didn't tickle my funny bone. All right. Let's move on. Let's go to Netflix. And I think when you talk about Netflix in 2020, you have to start with Tiger King. Sam, what were we all thinking back in April when this thing came out? I don't know. We were all stuck at home. We all didn't see humans. We didn't talk to anybody. We didn't see anybody in person. We saw everybody through screens. So Tiger King was perfect for us. And they, I feel like for that time, it was great. It was like a nice thing to rally upon. Because I feel like it really came out right when everything shut down. I mean, I could be off in my like, you know, dates and stuff. Um, But I don't know. It was really entertaining for what it was. Like it gave me something to do. I enjoyed it. Great memes. Uh, we we took Carol Baskin too far, but you know, for what it was, had some great sound clips. Like I'm never gonna financially recover from this, which I probably use every couple of days mm-hmm. when I buy something I don't need. 
Uh, but other than that, like, you know, it, it, I feel like it served its purpose uh, for 2020. It served its purpose for our COVID era or for our quarantine year. John, I know this is de- definitely what you were referencing back at the top of the podcast. And you said there's certain things we should not have gotten into it. We did. So if you want to go away, go for it. I mean, it was just, I, I admit, I watched it. And then I remember going, why am I watching this? And I had two episodes left, so I just had to finish it. But there's nobody to like in the entire show. You're rooting against everybody. You end up rooting for the Tigers. <laughs> but, like, they're in terms of, like, human people, you're, I mean, it's crazy. Also, the fact that, what's his face? The Tiger King. I forget his name. Joe Exotic. He, he legit got votes for a political office and got more than, like, 10%. He got, like, a legit margin of votes, which scares the crap out of me that that could actually happen in america terrifies me like it's bonkers yeah and carol baskin sam said it why is she still on television at all she's terrifyingly creepy she is evil she's like an evil witch from a freaking like old disney movie that keeps like cats captive she's a crazy cat lady from a disney movie but in real life and she was like dancing with the stars yeah. When she did the whole meow. Like, she literally did the meow to the camera for a preview, and I cringed in my couch every time I saw it. Ugh. Well, hello there, you, hello, you crazy cats and kittens. You want to talk about this show no. again? No. Oh, my God, no. That's horrible. I'm, I just cringed at that. Yeah. Bad memories. She is nobody. I understand if you like pets. I get it. Nobody should like pets the way she does. She also killed a guy. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, we think we all agree she killed her first husband. Joe Exotic was right about that. <laughs> yeah, the one thing that Joe Exotic is right about is she killed her husband. What do you think of the odds are, like, and maybe in like after he's out of prison, Joe Exotic goes on Dancing with the Stars? <laughs> no, because he'll be on too much, too many drugs to possibly do that. <laughs> he's gonna, he's gonna get his tigers back. He's gonna get his his zoo back or whatever i feel like that's what he's gonna be focused on yeah it's that... crazy that they were planning a movie for the show too like a like a big motion picture and people were like like jazzing up to like who's gonna play what parts or whatever and i don't know if that's still gonna happen but god talk about being like out of touch when that movie finally comes out because nobody's gonna care about tiger king nearly as much as they did for the month of april yeah wasn't nicholas cage attached to that at one point yeah at some point i think he, oh, yeah. he was attached to it at some point like i just no. Yeah, no. I, I think this. I think this little clip will basically sum up John's mood on what on Tiger King. Why? 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 <laughs> yeah, why? I'm upset that I was part of the craze for that month. I am ashamed of myself. I'm looking at myself, looking into a mirror, and saying, "I'm sorry to the world for contributing <laughs> to the conversation around Tiger King. I am partially to blame. We all are partially to blame. We all, all <laughs> we, we all got sucked into this mess." But one thing we also got sucked into, I think that we enjoyed more, was the haunting of Blind Matter. Sam and I talked about this on our Halloween special. John, you would not finish it while we were on the Halloween special. I'm assuming by now you have completed it. What did you think about the season? Uh, I thought it was a very, very good piece of storytelling. Um, I don't think it was as scary as his predecessor, Haunting of Hill House. I think I prefer Haunting of Hill House to Blind Manor. But with that being said, Fly Manor was still one of the best TV miniseries or just shows that I saw this year. It gave me a lot of enjoyment. I think the way it crafted a story um, was well told. I don't think the acting held up to how well the story could have been for certain points. But as a whole, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It did spook me at certain times, but it wasn't as much of like jump scares as Haunting of Hill House was, in my belief. 
But with that being said, I still recommend it to absolutely everyone. And I am counting down to when the next one's going to be made because I'm definitely tuning in. Well, Sam, I know you and I talk about this also. We do think John made a good point here that, as we said, it's this was not really like a jump scary, you know, oh, like this is going to be a very scary, like edge of your seat fright. It's more a psychological thriller. And as they, as the creators themselves said, it's sort of like a love story in disguise. Yeah, I mean, like, I literally, I mean, like, okay, so like, I, you know, the haunting of Hill House was scary, but like there was things about like this, the Bly Manor that like just sat, maybe it's just like a person, personal you know, decision or feeling. I felt more scared in Bly Manor than I did for Hill House for the fact that like, it's just like the faceless doll things, like them being faceless, them forgetting. I felt like that was just more scary for me. You know what I mean? Like you're locked in this closet. Like, you know, it's just, they took like the, you know, the afterlife and everything to like a scary level. Like this could happen to you. Like you're attached to something and they open the box and boom, you're going to come out and start drowning people. Like, it was just, like, some weird, like, thing that just didn't sit right. I thought it was, like, a great, like, ghost story. Like, it was, like, one of those, um, I don't know if you read those books when you were a kid. Like, the late, the girl who, like, had a ribbon on her neck and then she finally took it off and her head fell off. I forgot what they're called. They did a movie about it this year. Goosebumps? No, um, uh... Oh, scary stories to tell in the dark. Yes, that's it. Kind of felt like one of those stories, like an isolated, like longer version of that. But um, I thought it was like it, you know, it was a love story, and you know, I'm still upset about some people who died, and and I'm still all over it. I'm just gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I do have a bit of bad breaking news about that. The creator, Mike Flanagan, actually came out last... I think this, this is sort of like a news dump that happened around Christmas, is that he said there are no plans for a future haunting installment right now. So, as of right now, it's just these two. He said, no guarantee for the future, but right now, they are not planning anymore. Why? Can they... I hope they hear us in our podcast and be on my why. Yeah. They'll respond, because I would like a PR-crafted answer. Like... Yeah, I will. I, I believe he said just that like they didn't have a good story right now. I think that's what he came up with. He said like that was his right. excuse. He's like, I don't have a story. I'm not gonna just do it for the sake of doing it, which I respect. I respect that too. You gotta respect it. If you don't have a good story to tell, don't push anything forward. Don't be like a true detective season two and try and catch the iron while it's hot. Let it sit and let it lie because people will go back and watch the originals and ask for the new ones. That's mm-hmm. that's the Watchmen approach. Watchmen's the Watchmen TV show said we're not doing a second season. We don't have a story for it. Like we told our entire story, and I respect that approach because why give us a terrible product when, and just ruin the legacy of the greatness you made? I agree with you. I agree with you. I mean, now I need another scary show to kind of fill the void because I always look for something scary in October and the, to end the year. So hopefully, something can fill the void come twenty twenty one. He said he is work. He and his group are working on a thriller for Netflix. So they will have something coming in that point. Some not another haunting, but that group is doing something. Love to hear it. Love it. All right, so let's go round the horn here, quick. A couple of other Netflix picks. I will go first. I'll throw a couple of things at here. I obviously I talked to our friend Steve Coulson about the Circle this year, the reality show. I highly recommend it. It was social distancing before it was cool, and I think it was a very fun experiment to see how these people interacted just over social media. Unsolved Mystery, Sam and I talk about this. We love this show. John got into it as well. This is great. But my question to either of you. I like the first series of Unsolved Mysteries a lot more than the second bunch. I agree. I'm having a really hard time getting through the second bunch. Yeah, the second bunch was weaker. 
much weaker. I'm like halfway through it, and I don't like. I need to push myself to finish the last three episodes. There's one that's there's there's like one that's the premiere of the second one I like, and then I kind of drop off after that. That's the Washington D.C. murder, right? Yes. Yeah, that's by far the best one thus far I've seen in series two. Yeah, the rest of them kind of drop off. There's one where I was like sitting there, I'm like, we're really doing an episode on this, and like it was, uh, it was just really weird. I think it was like. One in base in Japan. I just couldn't get through. I just couldn't get through. I kind of skipped ahead to the next one. Yeah, the um, tsunami one. Yes. Ghosts. Yeah, that was uh, that was a little like far fetched for and me. It was super long too. It was like fifty five minutes. I'm like, wait, what? Like, and then like, I so it's something that they didn't realize. I don't think it's like, unless you have very compelling stories, hard to expect people to stay focused with subtitles for fifty five minutes. Because mm-hmm. it's not like Parasite where like you're hooked and you're like right on it. Like they were just like dragging, and the music didn't help. It was just very like melodic and like uh, okay this is the ghost here and he was in my cab and then he wasn't there and then it's like leave that down yeah i couldn't i guess the one remembers that there was a cab a guy in a cab and he just never disappeared and the cab driver freaked out yeah and then like they were like yeah no we we're like taxi drivers for the ghost yeah i'm like we're just gonna let that go we're just yeah. that all we're gonna touch upon like yeah. that you, you had a ghost in there and you're like it's okay we're gonna pay it forward you know yeah, and this is my last pick. This is one I think I've told Sam about this. I think John, I don't know if you've seen it. Have you seen the death of twenty twenty yet? No. I it, mean that to be honest with you. It just came out. It's a mockumentary from the folks who who did Black Mirror about the year twenty twenty. They brought in an all star cast of actors to play like quote unquote like experts they interview in the documentary. Like Samuel L. Jackson plays a reporter. Hugh Grant plays like a British historian and Kristen Milioti from How I Met Your Mother fame is a Karen in the in the piece, and they go through all the, the all the crazy stories of the year with the election and the news cycle and all that, and they make fun of everything, and it's fantastic. And there are so many great lines from it. Leslie Jones is in this. I was telling you earlier, she plays an author. Lisa Kudrow is basically a fake Kelly McEnany, and it's a lot of fun. I was dying laughing on this. They make fun of Joe Biden's age. They make fun of Donald Trump a bunch. They make fun of Boris Johnson, like. Nobody is safe from the jokes. It's a lot of fun. It makes you laugh when you need to pick me up. Well, I didn't. I didn't know that was a thing. So I'll have to look into that. I had no idea. It's number six on Netflix top ten right now. All right, there you go. Yeah, yeah. And Sam, you feel? I feel like you love a good mockumentary. Uh, yeah, but I don't want to like spoil anything that's coming up. But little slight spoiler: I have a mockumentary to say in a little bit. All right, let's go to you next. What are your net other Netflix picks for twenty twenty? For me? Yes, for you. Uh, I'm going to really like start off pretty strong. I got The Queen's Gambit. I was like, I was sitting watching TV. I'm like, I'm going to watch a movie. And then like the little top part where it plays a preview came on, like when I turned on Netflix. And it was like this, The Queen's Gambit, like the little preview, like the day of. And I'm like, you know what? I think I'll just watch this. It was so good. I was like, okay, okay, maybe it was like so good. Maybe it was just the time of my life where I was like, I need something to watch because I have not watched it again. I always watch everything twice. Uh, my initial reaction and then my, you know, more like toned in, like, oh, is this good? But honestly, I really enjoyed The Queen's Gambit. I thought it was a great release time and it was like more of a surprise. It took me off guard. Also, um, Mr. Dursley, not Mr. Dursley, uh, but what's his face? Uh, Dudley Dursley is in it from Harry Potter that I was like this guy looks so familiar and it took me till after reading an article to know who it was um but I thought it was a really uh cool story to tell you know chess is not everybody's cup of tea 
Uh, but I feel like bringing this in and having a nice uh, character to have this like, you know, dark, disturbing, you know, like story to tell. Uh, I thought it was really, I thought it was interesting. I feel like Netflix doesn't have that well of written original series sometimes, you know what I mean? I'm sure all their movies, I feel like I can't watch. Like it literally makes me cringe. But um, but for their TV shows, it's a little more acceptable. But yeah, I'm going with Queen's Gambit. I wish we can have little like graphics that pop up like in TV, like Queen's Gambit, like up top of my head. But like, um, yes, so Queen's Gambit, final answer, ding, ding, ding. All right, Sam's in with Queen's Gambit. John, any Netflix picks that we did not mention yet? I mean, just, I haven't watched Queen's Gambit yet, but it's on my queue to eventually watch it because I know it's going to be one of those shows that like I need to watch and pay attention to, not something I can have on in the background. So I need to, I need to make time and I haven't done that yet. I've heard only things <laughs> You have to wait till after basketball, at least. Yeah, John can't be doing Photoshop and watching the Queen's Gambit. Unfortunately not. Yeah. Uh, in terms of other Netflix picks, just uh, kind of a hodgepodge here. The Mick Swartz improv special uh, was phenomenal. If you like improv, it did three hour-long comedy specials, which I think are a tour de force and made me crap up all three of them. Uh, was a very good action movie. Not not a great movie by any means, but Chris Hemsworth just kicking butt and looking good doing it. So that's always enjoyable. The uh, Five Bloods, uh, Spike Lee movie. I personally didn't love it, but it's going to be in the Oscar conversation for Best Picture of the Year. So you get, probably should tune into that. And then for me, a movie that should be considered one of the best best of the year, but probably isn't going to be. The Devil All the Time, uh, Bill Skarsgård, Tom Hiddleston, Jason Clark, ton of really famous people in this movie, Robert Pattinson, very dark, not and not everyone's cup of tea, but definitely was was right for me in terms of a brooding film. Uh, so those are kind of my other Netflix recommendations. That was a strange one. I was like, I'm not too sure about this. And I remember watching and I'm like, it has to be almost over. And then there was still like another hour left. I'm like, what the hell are they going to do with this? I would, I'm the jury in my mind is still out about that movie. Like, I, I still don't know how I feel about it. Like I've watched it, I think twice. And I'm like, I really don't know how to feel about it at all. I loved it. I, I know it's not for everybody, but I loved that movie. Oh my God. But then, um, did you, um, you were breaking up just a little bit. Did you mention the movie with, um, Oh my God! Not Den- oh, with uh the superhero powers. I'm trying to find the name of it. I can't. Uh, something power. No. It was power. It was what like it power. Take- yeah, I think you take the you take the pill and then you have your own power. Yeah, I didn't we- think it was that bad. I'm not saying it's anything critique, and you know it wasn't anything like beautiful and whatever. But I thought it was like an entertaining hour and a half to two hours just to watch. I thought it was like just an interesting concept. Uh, interesting concept. I don't think it delivered all the way, but I'll admit I finished it, so I was entertained by it. Yeah, Jamie Foxx. That's who was in it. Jamie Foxx. Yep. You not like Jamie Foxx. He is a beautiful human being. Unless he's Did playing you? Electro. Yeah, thank you, Mike. That's literally <laughs> the point I was going to make. No, no, no. no Jamie Foxx equals hearts, so yeah. that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, again, I will say, again, unless he's playing Electro. I, I have a Jamie Foxx love spot coming up later in the podcast, but we'll get we'll get to him. Let's go quickly to The Mandalorian because we have not gotten John's take on it because the finale just dropped. We had a whole podcast about this. I Sam was on the panel with me. Everybody, Keith Considori was on there. Everybody, Nick Ferranda was on there. 
John, we did the premiere of this podcast. Timothy Olyphant did not come back. Somebody, uh, some other people did come back, including some people from the franchise. So, your take on the finale of The Mandalorian? Uh, I enjoyed the finale of The Mandalorian. I really enjoyed the season as a whole. Obviously, the big thing with the finale is Luke coming back. While I thought it was great spectacle and I geeked out for it, it has my antennas up. I'm a little bit worried that it's diving too deep into the beloved Star Wars canon of the Skywalker saga. I preferred the show when it was more of its own thing. So I am slightly worried that it's going to be veering into the path of more popularity and more populist opinion. But with that being said, still an amazing, amazing season of television. Probably my favorite overall TV show of the year from an entertainment value. The pure pleasure I got from Boba Fett being a barbarian and just demolishing stormtroopers with a club. My God, I (laughs) was jumping up and down on my couch. Yeah, Very, very excited. Um, and that's going to be the next big show for Disney Plus is Boba Fett. The chapters of Boba Fett, they're taking a break from from Mando and from Grogu. So um, I'm definitely excited to watch it, though my antennas are up. I'm slightly worried, but still optimistic. Yeah, I trust Filoni and Favreau to do a good job with that show because they've earned our trust what they've done so far. I think they are Correct. This season was a little Iron Man 2-ish in terms of like how much they're trying to shove in to set things up for the future. But I did like what they were going with all these things. I will say, though, I could have done without Frog Lady. She ended up being useless at the end of this season. I mean, that was a lot like the first season where it was just kind of a mission every episode type thing. They were just there. She was there to carry along for a couple of episodes. So, I mean, it, it is what it is. I still really, really enjoyed it. I'm not even sure there are multiple episodes you could pick for being your favorite of the season. I think like my dark horse is, is uh, the episode, the siege directed by Carl Weathers. Uh, Cause that had the most nostalgia in terms of like old star Wars trilogy, yeah. like the little things like the tie fighter sounds and the, the gas pedal being pushed down on the speeder. And those little things made me love that episode. Maybe more than most the rest of the season. I rock with that. That was the episode Sam recap. This season was the siege. I know. I said, I was like, <laughs> this is the best. Can't get better. And then I'm like the finale. And I'm like, damn, I'm eating my words, yeah. but. I really did enjoy that. I still enjoy that episode. Um, I was, I'm like one of those like sick people who like read theories online. And I know Mike, we talked about this like off air, but I was like, they were like saying like, what if um, Ben Solo kills Grogu? Like, because like they go, they, they're probably training together at the same time. And people, you know, cause like the internet is full of like insane ideas. And I'm just like, so worried. Yeah. that they would do this what like do this thing but then today i was reading theories that he would not kill grogu i'm very on to this i'm sorry i had to bring yeah. it up i had to bring up my conspiracy theories for you know the mandalorian slash grogu because i i only honestly care about grogu aka baby yoda so will it be clear that grogu has plot armor in the form of the almighty dollar that they will never kill him off otherwise they will lose all the merch that they could sell for this but i will also point out with grogu that he could pull the what he pulled here with the with the with the uh, with the Order sixty six situation in the in the prequel trilogy, where we have the meme saying he has got missed by Anakin because he went out to go get snacks, so maybe he goes and guys goes and finds some food and he misses uh, Ben Solo murdering all the, all the uh, Jedi children. He's just so cute. They're probably <laughs> like, we can't kill his guys. Like yeah. way too cute. Like n- yeah. nothing's gonna come of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So John, also you, they they dropped a ton of toy knowledge and they dropped a ton of plots and shows coming up. What are your opinion on all of this? Well. I think, first of all, my opinion is that this is Disney Plus telling HBO Max to go shove it. 
because we're Disney Plus and you have Warner Brothers, but we have Disney. So that was my first takeaway. This was just kind of like stomping them into the ground and being remember your place. Um, secondly, I was overwhelmed by the by all the Star Wars stuff. I think some of it is I'm more excited for than most. Um, I'm incredibly excited for the unnamed Taika Waititi film. I'm hoping that he could kind of give new energy into the Star Wars cinematic universe like he did with Thor Ragnarok. So I'm hoping he could do that. Um, I'm really excited for the Acolyte show because it seemed like it's going to be the most disconnected from the original Star Wars story being set hundreds of years before The Phantom Menace, again, for a kind of an independent story. And then also, I'll admit, I'm really excited for Ahsoka because I love Rosario Dawson. I'm watching Clone Wars now. Mandalorian Season 2 got me doing that. I'm about to end Love Ahsoka. I'm very excited for when that comes out. I'm going to be all caught up on Clone Wars and Rebels by that point. So in terms of the things I'm most excited for, the Taika TV film, uh, the Acolyte TV show, and Ahsoka. Yeah, I think it's a good good setup here for Disney+. Plus. The only other thing I think it was really notable for them was the Hamilton film. Do you guys agree that was probably the two big things for 2020 for them? I loved it. <laughs> I don't care if it's basic. I don't care if it's basic white boy bitch shit like Pumpkin Latte. I loved it. I have rewatched it. I listened to the soundtrack. It's incredible. Satisfied was my number one song on Spotify this year for a freaking reason because it's freaking awesome. So I don't care if it's a basic bitch thing to like. I loved Hamilton and will continue loving it. It got me excited for In the Heights, which is coming out in 2021 because Lin-Manuel Miranda is back directing a musical with some catchy music and I'm all about it. So thank you, Hamilton. Wait a minute. You didn't like In the Heights in like 2007? I didn't, I didn't even know it was a thing in 2000. Oh my God. I loved it. I got to see that, you know, like that was probably two years later when it went into production, but I literally was going to skip jury duty because my, um, he's basically my uncle. He literally got me and my brother tickets to go see Hamilton. So I got to see it with the original cast. So this was like, I literally was like, I will go to jail to go see Hamilton like live. Like, I really don't care. Like, what are they going to do? And I'm just like, I was okay. I was accepting the fact that I was going to go to jail for like, you know, evading jury duty. Um, but I thought this was great. I thought it was a really good, the only difference was I didn't have uh, Jonathan Groff as my King George. I had um, Andrew Reynolds. Yeah. So I thought he was great as that one too. So um, I thought it was so cute. It was so good. Um Oh my God. No, it was so good. I'm so glad everyone's loving Hamilton and I'm so glad you're loving In the Heights. It's a really bomb soundtrack. I don't know if you heard it yet, like fully. I made the promise every musical that I want to go see, I don't listen to the soundtrack because I want to hear it with the show. So I had never heard Hamilton before I watched the movie. I purposely avoided it for years. And then finally I let it flow over me like a giant tsunami of emotion. And it took me on a wild ride and it's still carrying me out to the ocean. Yes. I mean, if you ever want to go for it, always for like Broadway, listen, you can listen to the first act, just like maybe not the last song to lead you into the like intermission. But other than that, you're pretty much good. Like, like all the information comes in the second act, most of the time, not all the time. But in the Heights, you're good to listen up to like blackout and you're good to go. Well, if it comes over me, I'll let you know. But I'm very excited for it. And Hamilton, Mike, like you said, that, I think that really got Disney Plus on the map before The Mandalorian Season 2 came out because that carried the, that carried them for the entire summer. 
Yeah, I I watched it when it came out. I loved it. It was a lot of fun. And my question to you, John, is this. Are you going to sneak the room where it happened into the Iona men's warm-up soundtrack here? Uh, I don't think the men's basketball players would love it. (laughs) But with that being said, they don't have creative control over social media. So a Hamilton soundtrack might make its way into a video in the not-so-distant future. Hey, oh. do that i could see you getting away with that it just needs to be the good moment and the the right the right time oh i can make it work i'll make it work you get so easy to make the room where it happened work for a basketball thing you can just tie it to the gym and say this is the room where it happened when something amazing happens like isaiah ross maybe has another 25 point night and then you there you go you know what no one else no one else was in the room when it happened you just feel like that's me like you know what i mean like you have nobody coming in to watch the games because COVID, but. Or one could say we're getting a new locker room and that's the room where it happens. Yeah. Mm. This is true. It's a good transition also getting to the movies now because movies is not as as big as it usually is because of COVID and shut the theaters down. But John Stanko recently published on his own blog, StankoStance.com. He published his top movies of the year. What are your picks, John? So I recently, so I have a, the blog I put out, Mike, is my five favorite movies. Um, so I can just run through those really quick. For This is released in the calendar year 2020. Uh, Run, which was on Hulu, was my number five. Hamilton, Disney Plus, was number four. Nobody Sleeps in the Wood is a Netflix movie that you guys probably have never heard of before. But it's a Polish horror movie that I loved. Of course. Uh, so that was really good. Yes, God, Yes is my number two and then portrait of a lady on fire is my number one and is probably a top 10 movie for me of all time so those are my five favorite movies i'm currently working on my the five best movies of 2020 because that is a little bit of a different list but if you have to make room for two movies in 2020 to see yes god yes and portrait of a lady on fire absolute must watches yeah i literally watched that because i saw your tweet and i had nothing else to watch and i was like I'm going to watch this. And I was like, this is really good. So yes, thank God, you. Yes. I, like, I still owe you a thank you for that one. That was really good. I, yes, God, yes, is the funniest movie I saw this year. It was absolutely incredible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. But um, did you see Palm Springs? I did. I enjoyed Palm Springs a lot. I did. I enjoyed it. Yeah. It's not one of my favorites, but I, I was very entertained. I actually enjoyed Happiest Season on Hulu more than Palm Springs, the new uh, kind of Christmas movie with Kristen Stewart in it. I enjoyed that one more than Palm Springs. I didn't watch that one. I literally have been, I was telling right before you popped on, I was like, I've been doing so bad with movies this year, like absolute trash. Like I did watch Wonder Woman. I know we'll get to that, but like literally, (laughs) I know I was like, I, we were talking about this yesterday and I'm like, I, if I have to get it over with, like, I literally said that just to get it over with. Um, but I thought Palm Springs was such a stra- another strange movie, but like, I actually, like, I enjoyed it for some reason. Like it's, it's normally out of my like entertainment range. Like I'm like, I'm not normally one to go for things like that, but I was like, I, I really did enjoy it. I also love Andy Samberg. So, I mean, it's literally a movie about living the same day over and over and over. Can you get a more like relatable movie for 2020 than that? It's literally people were doing that all summer long and all fall long. So it, it fit for when it came out. And to be fair, it was a good movie, even in its own right. Yeah. Let's also, also before we get into some of the movies quickly that we that came out to see the big ones, like I will tell you, John, that like I'm working my way down that queue we made back in May. I'm up to the Jackie Robinson DVD, so I've gotten through pretty much most of the big part of the list. Although I did 
mega pissed off for, for Spider-Verse last weekend, as you know, and I, I agree with you, best Spider-Man movie of all time. It's the best Spider-Man movie of all time, and it's not even close. And I hope now you share my opinion that I am terrified they're not in real action for the next Spider-Man movie because that animated piece of masterpiece on its own and don't the real live, which I think is going to be Spider-Man 2 where they're fucking too much into a movie like that. Yeah, so I, I'm terrified for what that movie's going to be. I, I, I'm terrified of it, too, because I, I don't know who's more in that direction. It's Sony's idea or Feige's idea. If it's Feige, I trust it more. If it's Sony, I, I really would, like, crap my pants on that. It's like, oh, boy, they're going to break this. I mean, we have to wait and see. I think Tom Holland's really good, but in terms of bringing everyone else back, it's going to be really, really hard to make it all gel together as well as Spider-Verse did. Yeah, I, I will also point out the underrated gem on that list that I saw, I love Blinded by the Light. Like I was really into that when I got to it. Okay, I don't think I've seen that one, so you're gonna have to shoot that one. Shoot a, shoot a reminder to me in a text, so I can see that one. I will shoot. I will tell that to both you and Sam. You should check that movie out. It's a lot of fun, and they do a good job with the Bruce stuff and the acting. That's really, really good, and they give you a very non-traditional cast, which is a very, very nice thing to see in these these days. Mm. All right, let's go on some of the main movies you might have heard of. So. John, you're the X-Men guy. Give me the quick what happened with New Mutants. New Mutants is a movie that was doomed from the start, and even its mediocre expectations were probably uh, too high, uh, and it fell so flat that it even didn't meet the bar of just average. It was just bad. The second worst X-Men movie in the entire franchise, I think there are 13 of them that I ranked earlier just about a month ago. It's the second worst, only in front of X-Men Origins Wolverine. Um, but with that being said, the only enjoyable part of it was, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, who went on to be in Queen's Gambit and made sure the stink of New Mutants didn't last very long for her. So that's the only really silver lining on it is that people got to see Taylor-Joy earlier than Queen's Gambit and she was able to recover all of Hollywood for the Gambit. But otherwise, skip New Mutants, it literally means nothing because Disney's going to reboot everything. So there's no reason to watch it. Zero. Unless you're a completionist. Like myself, which is why I wanted to watch it. But it was a, it was a hot, steaming piece of garbage. Okay, so avoid that one. I will talk about the last movie that I saw in theaters in 2020, which was Sonic the Hedgehog. I remember we took a dump by on last year's pop culture special because, like, boy, it's going to be a train wreck. And it was actually fun. I, would give, I gave it a good grade. I gave it a solid B. Jim Carrey was spectacular as Robotnik. He was very funny, very physically comedy. John, I remember you saw you gave it a solid grade, too. What would you think? I mean, I remember it was more enjoyable than it had any right to be. Um, yep. There's definitely going to be a sequel at some point in time. Yes. Um, I, I mean, I'm not going to go. I'm not in a hurry to rewatch it by any means. But with that being said, if someone popped it on, I wouldn't be upset. Uh, it's very much the, the family-friendly superhero movie of this year i would say in terms of people getting universal entertainment out of it both adults and kids compared to other ones especially with no marvel movie this year so it filled a void and again credit to jim carrey he was allowed to be very quirky and he excelled at that yeah i i think also a hot take i think jim carrey dr robotic better than jim carrey joe biden on snl uh i don't disagree with you yeah. i concur with your opinion yeah yeah, we'll skip the, the Biden SNL comparison here, but we'll go on to some other ones. John, you got Mulan. What'd you think? Oof. 
listen, I'm not the biggest fan of the animated Mulan, but with that being said, could we all agree that this this remake live action was boring as hell? So boring, so terribly poorly acted. Like the only cool parts were like 10 minutes of action here and there, but this movie was so boring. Oh my God, I was folding laundry going, oh my, I'd rather take a nap than finish this movie. Like it, a huge disappointment, $200 million budget for that. Uh, and it, with all the political controversy surrounding it as well, nothing good came out of this. I don't remember anyone really saying a positive thing about it. The critics thought it looked great. Fantastic. You still need a story to tell. And there was no story. It was bad. Yeah, I, I did not enjoy it at all. Yeah, And I know Sam was talking about last year. One of her picks was wanted to see was Mulan. So good to say you did not spend the $29.99 to get the premiere access. Um, time out. What, how has it failed me? I've not, since Beauty and the Beast, I have not watched a remake live action Disney film. And I honestly, I really think that I'm going to just stick to my like little theory there. Because I feel like it hasn't let me down. Like I heard Aladdin wasn't good. Aladdin's Aladdin okay. Good. Aladdin's fine. Aladdin is fine. I heard it was god awful. Like, like literally, my my boyfriend loves Aladdin. Like, loves Aladdin. He goes, I hated it. And I'm like, if you hated it, and you can watch anything, how I'm not watching it. Like, I think I'm gonna just go by my, you know, my standard of not watching real. Like, you know, stick to the cartoons. I'm saying, stick to the cartoons. All right. Watching the live action Mulan, I will tell you, I won't be doing it. I just no desire whatsoever. Just no. All right, yeah. so we'll move on from there. I took, I handled Tenet because I'm a big Nolan guy. I think it's visually spectacular. The plot gets confusing at points. I think it's got issues. I gave it the B minus. I think be prepared to look up something at the end, try to figure out what's going on, but. I think Nolan got a little too in his own head in terms of trying to explain that one. That's my take on Tenet. I've heard the same things. I haven't watched it yet. That's going to be a New Year's Eve special in the Stanko apartment. Uh, we're rent me and me and my girlfriend are renting that, and we're probably watching that and Soul on New Year's Eve since we're taping a little bit before then. So, Mike, Sam, I'll report to you after I see him. But I heard the same things about Tenet, Mike. That a little bit like Interstellar, it got a little bit too heavy and in the sauce for its own good. I have it 7 out of 10 in my, in my Nolan rankings. Right behind Interstellar. I loved Interstellar, so that's why I'm, like, I'm really excited for this one. But now I might, you know what? Too bad. We should double date here, Seiko. You and your girlfriend, me and my boyfriend, not in the same you know room because COVID and we are being safe. Uh, but I might steal your idea and take those two uh, movie recommendations for New Year's Eve. Listen, one's gonna make you cry, and then you then you the the clout, the palate cleanser of the action of Tenet. That's kind of what's gonna happen. The shit out of you. I feel like that's great. Make you cry, yeah. and confuse the shit out of you. <laughs> there you go. That's a little emotional roller coaster for you on New Year's Eve. Perfect. All right, there you go. Let's get to the big one: Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four. And I think we've all seen this one. It was not good. This movie sucked. Royally bad. Royally bad. Straight up trash. F plus from your boy here. F plus. This movie is arguably worse than Suicide Squad. Yeah, I, I think it is worse than Suicide Squad. I, I was, again, I was bored with Mulan. I was blatantly looking at my phone during Wonder Woman 84. Like, we were just ignoring parts of this movie, my girlfriend and I. We just didn't care. It was so bad. 
Mike, Mike, you can go on this, but I this is by far the most disappointing movie of 2020. Patty oh. Jenkins, what you, you lost everything that made the original Wonder Woman good in this sequel. Nothing was good about it. Pedro Pascal was the best part of this movie because he was the only one going completely just acting out of his shoes, like over the top. He was the only like redeeming part of this, even though his character was trash and he was written poorly. Pedro, Pedro Pascal himself was good, but everything else about this movie did not enjoy it all. Yeah. Yeah, I was not like I was not thrilled with this. This definitely gave me major amazing Spider-Man 2 vibes. It was not good. It was a little, it was overstuffed. We spent way too much time focusing on Steve Trevor, who, I mean, Chris Pine was fun, but he's not the char- title character. Wonder Woman was a title character. That's a big issue. And the CGI on the end with Cheetah was awful. It's like really straight out of cats. Yeah, that final fight scene, you couldn't see anything between them. It was all in slow motion. All the dark. It was all in the dark, and it was just bad. It, mm-hmm. it was like, honestly, this movie, Wonder Woman 1984 reminded me of two movies. One, the Wolverine with Hugh Jackman, where the first two thirds of the movie was meant to be like understanding what makes the character motivated. And then the last third was just, hey, we need to have some fight scenes because it's an action movie and a comic book movie. So we're going to throw them in. Only it did it so much worse than the Wolverine. And it also reminded me of Superman, the 1970s version directed by Richard Donner, where it's all happy, go lucky. Everyone's having a good time. We can rewind time to undo all the mistakes that we had before. And there were really no stakes to it at all, and nothing really catastrophic happened. Like those are the movies it reminded me of, and I'm and one nineteen nineteen eighty four was worse than both those movies. Huge disappointment. Mike, when you uh, when you said that it reminded me of Cats, I literally had the same thought at the end. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Did they just like swap the editing? They're like, yeah, since you're editing the Cats movie, could you just like help us out for a hot second? But it was, I was, mm, I'm just hoping that like, you know, looking back, they're like, wow, we made such a mistake. This is just going to be a standalone, not even in any kind of universe or timeline. Maybe we'll just like kind of like loop it out at the end. But like, I mean, let me tell you, Chris Pine has been my Hollywood crush since I was like nine or 10 years old. And I'm old as heck right now. But like, literally, like, I love the guy, but like, he didn't need to be in it. And like, I just didn't enjoy it. Except for the part, Mike, when you said, beware, there's going to be a fanny pack involved. That was funny. I thought that was pretty like humorful. Was it needed? No. Did I like it? Yes. And was that probably my favorite part of the movie? Also, yes. Like when he was doing the outfit changes. But like, I love women superheroes like i am a woman and i love literally like seeing powerful ass women kicking ass and like she didn't even kick ass because she had to give up you know what i mean she like lost her powers for wishing steve back into existence and i was like that's stupid but whatever it's not my movie but like i just i don't know i just feel like there was so much missing and like there was like just they took away from so much of her character like she's not somebody who needs that like Steve like she said it herself basically so I was just I don't know well thankfully I went in it because Mike told me how bad it was I went in it with such a low expectation I was like you know at the same level as my expectations so actually I should give Mike a huge thanks here (laughs) no problem looking out for you guys trying to do the best I can here with this and last but not least I'll give you guys a positive recommendation here we're gonna go to Soul from Pixar just came out on Disney plus Jamie Foxx is in this. He's the starring character. He got as a, a, mil, a middle school teacher named Joe teaches music. Gets his big break. 
basically the plot goes like he accidentally dies. His soul ends up like in a, in a place and he tries to realize, oh, I didn't die, but I want to die for my big break. So he ends up going into like this place called the Great Before where he's supposed to mentor young souls and help them find their spark before he join the real world. Very touching story, very good voice acting, diverse cast, highly recommend it. Also, for the New York sports fans, they did get a shot in at the Knicks in this movie, which I think was hilarious. So I did pull that clip off of Twitter. This is from Stefan Bondi, Knicks beat reporter for the Daily News Twitter account. Let's listen to this, because this is from the movie Soul. I take no, this is all their property, not my responsibility, but here's the clip of the Nick joke. This is the zone. It's the space between the physical and spiritual. Wait a minute. I was here today doing my audition. This must be where musicians come when they get into a flow. Not just musicians. Watch this. Oh, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou? Oops. Check this out. I have been messing with this team for decades. And the lips lose another one. All right, all right. Yep, so Soul 22, played by Tina Fey, is why the Knicks have sucked for about 50 years. Oh my god, that's so sad. <laughs> it's so funny. John, I think that makes sense. Listen, I am very excited for this movie, Mike. I cannot wait to cry. I'm guaranteeing tears, guaranteeing it. I can't wait to watch it. I haven't seen it yet, but you've said good things. I've heard good things. Very excited about it. I had tears at the end. It was that good. Perfect. I love it. Yeah, mm. that's a good date night film for New Year's Eve. Crying. Yeah. <laughs> Crying out 2020 into 2021. It gives you all the feels, though. It gives you some hope going into the next year. I hope so. Pixar always makes me so upset. Like, I'm still upset over Up, and that came out in 2007. Like, still upset about thinking about it. I think that's all we got for the movies. Before we wrap things up real quick, a couple of things. John, two minutes on Taylor Swift. What a glorious year. People said 2020 was bad. And there were some tough things. COVID-19 was tough. Not seeing your families was hard. The movie business dying was hard. But let me tell you, we got two Taylor Swift albums. It was a great year. What are we talking about? We got Folklore and Evermore coming out, two of her better albums ever. So 2020, I mean, it wasn't so bad. I would consider it a great year. Phenomenal. Two Taylor Swift albums. Delightful. There we go. John Stanko, very excited about Taylor Swift. I, I wish everyone could see Sam's face right now because she just doesn't completely agree. But man, oh man, was I stoked for Taylor Swift. Two albums, and frankly, great albums. Like, universally and critically appraised, good albums. I mean, it's incredible. She gets me in my tears. I'm going to listen to those before I watch Soul, and I'll have no more water in my body because all my tears will be out. <laughs> I literally never understood Taylor Swift. I don't think I'll ever understand Taylor Swift, but you know, being a fan of music, I do. I'm happy that Taylor Swift fans got so much music, new music. That's always nice when your like favorite artist is so kind and give gives out new music. But like I said, I just don't get her. I just will never get her. And it's nothing mean. I don't have any animosity towards T Swift fans. I lived with the biggest Taylor Swift fan, Mackenzie from all throughout college. Uh, and I've appreciated the album Red because that came out then and whatever is after that one. But literally, I just think it's so funny how much of a T-Swift fan you are and I just don't get it. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm a deep and emotional man down at the heart. You just gotta crack, the, crack those shells open and Taylor Swift can do that for you. She has the little, she has the chisel. She can get into my emotions. <laughs> That's great. 
Yes, she can. And we'll go to real quick. We're going to do MVP, LVP of 2020 in the pop culture sphere. John, is Taylor Swift your MVP? No, she's not my MVP. Um, she's probably but in terms, honorable mention first, introverts are an MVP of 2020. We dominated it. We thrived in the quarantine. We thrived in the isolation. We're the MVPs. But my real MVP is in the realm of sports, and it's the NBA. Uh, the NBA did a phenomenal job with the bubble. Uh, the playoffs were fantastic. They've done the best job addressing the social justice amongst all the sports. For me, 2020, the MVP is the NBA because they were the safe, they were the saving grace of sports in terms of getting us back to a little bit of normality. So my MVP is the NBA. Sam, MVP. Uh, well, I just want to have some honorable mentions of the new season of The Crown, which I didn't get to talk about. I thought it was an amazing season. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I actually took my time watching the entire season. I didn't just binge it like my normal self. Um, and I want to mention the undoing with Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant. I know we brought him up and it literally went, ding, I forgot to talk about this great show. And that it was a cool like murder mystery. I'm not saying it's like the world's best thing I've ever seen, but it was a great to have to watch and to like rally upon with everybody else, kind of like a Tiger King or, you know, a Queen's Gambit. Um, but my favorite, um, out of left field, I feel like for myself, my MVP, maybe because it came to me at a great time in my life, as in just because I had nothing else to watch and it brought me such joy. What we do in the shadows, I was introduced to this year and holy shit, I think it's a great show. There's two seasons out right now. And we were talking before, um, a big writer on that is, I'm, I don't want to butcher his name. Um, Mr. White. Well, I can't say his name. I don't want to say it. Yeah, I can't say it ever. And I just like don't want to embarrass myself, which I already did. Uh, but anyway, um, but I think it's great. If it's a mockumentary, if anybody likes The Office, you got a little gore. You know, you got a little, you know, you got the comedy. You got everything. And the acting is super great on that as well. I just think, I don't know. I just, that's my MVP. I'm just, I'm throwing something weird out there this year. Uh, something that I feel like nobody else would pick. So I've heard great things about the show. I watched the movie. I loved the movie. Okay, I haven't out. seen the movie. That's the thing. Me and me and my brother, my brother told me, hey, maybe you should check this out. We both watched it. We both like oh, watch the movie. The movie's great. Taika Waititi's in the movie. It's great. Yeah. Great movie. I just haven't watched the show yet, but it's also it's in my queue of like like it's in my list to eventually watch on Hulu. I just haven't gotten there yet. That one's so easy. Like, yeah, you could binge through the entire thing, but it's like easy 30 minute installments so or a little less because there's no commercials but oh my god it's so good all right so my mvp i'm gonna give one honorable mention to steve kornacki from the msnbc election coverage he basically kept to make a saying for four days and he parlayed into a spot on sunday night football so good job steve kornacki but the mvp has to be michael jordan because he won the last dance and he gave us means for about 15 years so michael jordan clear-cut mvp of 2020 it's tough to argue with that like i said the last dance is the cultural touchstone of 2020 that I think everyone can agree upon. So, I mean, it's a great pick, Mike. Great pick. Okay. I feel like also, like, they, like, really made documentaries, like, a thing again. I feel like without that, you wouldn't have people to, like, watch it as much anymore. I don't know. That's just my, like, take on that one. I feel like people like the documentary more than maybe they did in 2019. Yeah, well, that's definitely become an easy thing to make now, so that definitely helps, but also quickly, LVPs. John, who is the least valuable player of 2020? 
Uh, honorable mention is HBO and their butchering of a, the HBO Max delivery to everybody because uh, so many people were confused by it. So that's an honorable mention. But I just teased this earlier. The LVP of 2020 is just the movie theater industry. Um, for, I love going to the movies. That's how I go see these big tentpole movies because I feel like I'll spend the money and I'll go experience it. I'm not paying, I have a hard time paying 20 bucks to rent Tenet to watch on my TV in my living room. And it's like one of those things where I don't have the funds to just rent every big movie I want anytime I can. So not being able to go to the movies and justify spending the money to see those big movies has made it tougher for me. And I think it's made it tougher for the movie industry in general. So I think the movie theater industry is never going to be the same after COVID-19 and 2020. So they're my least valuable player. All right, Sam, LVP. Um, first off, I just want to agree on the HBO Max thing. Like, literally, I feel like it was just poorly done. And then on top of that, like, if you have any streaming services, like a Roku, like, you had to wait until, like, the last week. Yeah, you had to get wait till last week to get HBO Max on your, like, Roku and stuff, which is stupid because they had HBO, but they didn't come out with the other app for it, which I, I honestly just don't understand. Like, I'm just going to push that aside. Um, but, like, my biggest, um... LVP is literally anybody who again mine's also movie related it's like anybody who disregards like things on streaming services can't be an Oscar contender like all those like directors and stuff like I get it you want your thing to go to movies make money all that stuff but like adapt with the time you just have to adapt like I feel like you're just being such a straight level you know you're just like in your own little container part of the movie theater business that you have to just realize that things do change. And like, if you don't change things, then, you know, everything, like you become stagnant and then people are just gonna like cancel, you know, cancel culture, cancel you completely. Like all those directors saying like, you know, if anything comes out of Netflix, it shouldn't be a contender, but some Netflix makes good things as we've seen, you know, who can make good things like HBO Max makes good things. Like you shouldn't just take that away just because your only thing right now is streaming. Like, that's what made me angry. Okay, so my um, LVP, I'll throw two honorable mentions out there. Number one dishonorable mention is Sony for completely butchering how they launched PS5 because I remember the once they nightmare of how they had the pre-orders and they dropped them early and then everybody ran out and it's a hard possible way to try and get one if they want one. The other one, another one, I, I will give Christopher Nolan LVP for his stance of like, my patrons have to, my fans have to risk getting coronavirus to go with theater to see my movies because I'm too much of a snob to let it go on streaming first. I think my LVP, though, has to be Quibi because <laughs> if you are a streaming service in the year of the coronavirus and you go under, you're automatically the LVP because Quibi was so bad that you could not get it on anything because people did not realize that, you know, you can't get it on your TV. You can't watch it on your laptop. You can only watch it on your phone. And who is watching 10-minute mobile videos on their phone when you can't commute from anywhere? No adaptability from Quibi. They went under. They are the LVP. <laughs> I forgot about them. I forgot they were a thing too. I yeah. completely and utterly forgot, which is sad because there were billions of dollars that went into the campaigning for that and the advertising. And good God, it died a really quick death. It, so fast. <laughs> in a year where streaming was king, they went under. Well, I remember the biggest thing is they didn't allow like Chromecasting either. Yeah, you like, couldn't. You they couldn't. didn't even like allow you to watch it on your TVs. Like you had to watch it on your phone. Like people are stuck at home; they're not going to watch something on their phone when they could like when they have their TV in front of them. Yeah, 
Yeah, plus I remember they got me mails because I had the fake 24 with Jack with Kiefer Sutherland playing the, the, Jack, the Jack Bauer character again. I'm like, this makes no sense to me. Like, Kiefer should be actually playing 20, Jack Bauer again, not playing fake Jack Bauer on whatever the hell this show is. I no idea about that show. My, that's a great call, Mike, because I forgot that that existed in the world. Oh, trust me. I did my research. I was prepared for this one. I was like, yeah, yeah they failed. Last but not least, we will go ahead to 2021. A look ahead. TV show you're looking forward to. Say hello to you first. Oh, my God. I don't even know, to be honest with you. I don't even want to, like, put any, like, predictions out there just because you can use it against me in 2021. Not in a mean way. Just be like, hey, remember when you thought this was going to be great and it sucked? Um, ugh, I don't even know. I honestly don't know. Right now, January the 4th, The Bachelor is starting. I think that's all my brain can honestly like process right now. So right now I'm just going to go with The Bachelor. I'm just going to hope that, you know, sticks and is all right. And hopefully, Mike, you'll be joining uh, Stanko and I in watching this season. Okay, we'll see. Oh, Sam's on the board with The Bachelor. John, you're up. TV for 2021. Uh, they got two quick ones. The quick one is The Witcher coming back to Netflix. Love the first season. Love the video games. Love the books. Very excited for the new season. But Sam actually teased us a little bit with her uh, with her LVP. What's going to happen with the Oscars this year? I usually don't like award shows, but this Oscars is going to be bonkers. I have no idea how it's going to play out, how they're going to produce it, who's going to be nominated and whatnot. So I'm very excited to see how that television show and that whole nomination and award process goes. All right. So I'm on the board. I'll have three suggestions right out real quick. Obviously, I like in terms of the reality, Tough as Nail season two. I'm a big fan of that show. I think it'll be fun to see them come back and get the winter t- survivor time slot because Survivor can't film because of COVID somehow. Uh, the Book of Boba Fett. I am dying to see what that looks like, but that's going to be a lot of fun. And, and we had a break from Marvel. We're getting the Marvel Disney Plus shows. I'm intrigued to see what they look like in a six to eight episode order as opposed to the two hour film. I'm intrigued to see what they produce here. I have a, I'm getting a, I'm having a really hard time getting amped up to watch WandaVision. I have almost no desire to watch that show. Well, zero, like, close to zero. Well, I think Sam and I are actually discussing on the podcast a couple of weeks, so we will let you know if this is this is worth your watching. Let me know if it's worth it because I don't like Red Scarlet from the movies and I don't like Vision from the movies. I don't like them together, so why would I like the TV show? That's sure. my biggest I'm, thing. I'm just curious of what the psychotic like mess that she thinks what, what that looks like. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, report back because I I need to have my curiosity peaked in order for me to venture into that one. Also, John, HBO Max, the Tiger Woods two-part documentary. Oh, that's right. That's coming in uh, January. Yeah, first and second week of January. That's right. Uh, That I'll definitely watch for sure. Uh, Not going to be any last dance, but that's just going to get me want to go golfing again, but I can't do that with snow on the ground. Hopefully, if your schedule allows and you get free from my own for about like 30 minutes, you can discuss more of these episodes. Maybe you're going to have to catch me on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night because that's pretty much the only times I have free. Yeah. Yeah, We'll we'll figure that out off air sometime. But movies, John, you're the movie guy. What movies do you have on your list that hope you see in 2020? Uh, I'll just rattle off a bunch here quick. No Time to Die, the James Bond movie. Very excited for Dune. Super stoked for Dune. Uh, Last Night in Soho, In the Heights, which I mentioned before, Top Gun Maverick, uh, Deep Water, Mission Impossible 7, The Matrix 4, and Babylon. Those are the movies, just looking at the quick rundown of what's coming out in 2021, that I'm most excited for. So 
But honestly, most excited for it in terms of blockbusters, No Time to Die, because I love James Bond and Daniel Craig does a great job with it. Send him off properly, please. And Mission Impossible 7, how are they going to possibly top Mission Impossible Fallout, which was freaking awesome? How are they going to make that any better than it was? Those are probably the two blockbusters that I'm most excited for. All right, Sam, your picks. First off, I've never seen any Mission Impossible movie. I feel like oh, that hurts to hear. I literally, isn't that Tom Cruise? Who's yep. in that? Tom it's Tom Cruise. Cruise. I hate Tom-, Tom Cruise. That's why. I literally don't know why something, no offense, Tom Cruise. I know you will never, ever, ever hear this because your ego is too big. But like, literally, like, I hate that guy. I barely watched Jerry Maguire. That's like an Oscar award winning, winning film. Um, sorry, I don't mean to digress, digress and like take a shit on Tom Cruise. But um, I'm very excited for Dune. Um, I feel like that's going to be a fun one. And like that one's, but that's coming out late in the year, I yep. believe. Right? October. Like, yeah, October. I thought it was going to be Christmas of 2021. But also I know um, these next two, uh, Stanko is going to hate. Uh, Suicide Squad, the sequel, just because I love any kind of superhero movie. And then um, Space Jam 2, because uh, I hope and I pray (laughs) just to be in it. And I honestly, that's all I'm looking forward to. But regardless, Space Jam was uh, a nice little concrete building of my life. So you have to watch. I I have to be excited for Space Jam, a new legacy, John. I have a gross look on my face because I can't. I, I know that, but that. like, what if Bill Murray's in it and he just like makes the whole film? Do you just not like Bill Murray? I like Bill Murray. I like him in doses, and no, I'm not excited for Space Jam Two. That is probably my least excited things for. I'm, I'm so excited. I don't care how much you shit on it. I'm just so excited. I apologize for all my bad words I'm saying. I forget that we're yeah. recording and it's- putting this online, but like, I just get so into the moment. Um, but yeah. Space Jam, but come on, Space Jam. It's not yeah. supposed to be this classical, like, you know, mind-blowing movie. It's a kid's movie. I, I just, I want to know who the film is being made for. Is it being made for new kids or is it being made for fans of the old one? Probably I, fans of the old one and LeBron James. Like, literally, that's it. <laughs> I, yeah, well, you can't have both, I don't think, because fans of LeBron James aren't fans of the old Space Jam because they're MJ fans. There's a natural digression there, and I don't know how that movie is going to fit into the middle of that Venn diagram and get both interests. I'm very curious to see how they're going to do that, but that's a very narrow path they need to follow. Watch Michael Jordan be part of, like, the whole entire thing. He's just like, you know what? Let me just take this over. That'd be very funny, actually. I'd be on board with that. Because the last dance did so well. So he's like, you know what? Screw you. I'm going to have a small role in this, and then he'll, like, change the whole thing. All right, so I'm going to wrap up quick here. I had some new ones in that have I've not already been mentioned. I had Dune on there. I had Space Jam 2 on there. No Time to Die I had on there. I also am going to add in Black Widows because it's obviously the first Marvel movie about a year and a half from see Like, this is something we should have gotten a long time ago, but I want to see how they do Scarlett Johansson send-off on this. A Quiet Place 2 coming out. I'm intrigued about that because I think I like the Cirs one on the on the uh, Netflix. Ross Stango set me up on it. Intrigued by that. And also, for the Bill Murray fans, Ghostbusters Afterlife. He is going to be in that. All the originals are going to pop up somewhere in there. And we'll see if they do a better job of this than the 2016 female-led reboot did. I feel like it's really easy to do better than that movie. But I could be wrong, and they could do worse. 
Um, because Bill Murray was in that too, so like he still kind of sucked. Well, he was in there for about five seconds, and got himself killed off. That was basically his involvement in the plot. Yeah, I think that's all he wants to do anyway for yeah. anything Ghostbusters. I feel like he wants to distance himself from there. Like, like I'm speaking, like I know the guy, but um, that's just my opinion on it. All right, there we have it. That's our 2020 year in review in pop culture. I want to thank you guys for coming on. Let's get some social media handles. John, how can people follow you and keep up with your blog and podcast? Follow me on Twitter at jstanko99. Um, my blog is stankosstance.wordpress.com. Been pumping a few more of them out recently during some sleepless nights. So, uh, yeah, go follow along. Thanks. All right. Thank you, John. Sam, how can you follow you on social media? They want to keep up with what you're doing. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at S-D-E-R-O-S-6. Um, I've been very quiet for the lack of Jaguars fun things. I know they get the first pick, like we said before. Uh, I've just been a sad human being. So I, I watch you. Like what Pete, well, uh, like your friend Nick said last week, like I'd rather see what you're doing. I liked that. Uh, so <laughs> I've been doing a lot of peeping. Like I said, I, I, I see what Mike, what you do and uh stanko what you do so uh i'm here to support i'm a supporter all right thanks again guys i really appreciate it thanks for having me thanks mike all right and that will do it for the pop culture year in review podcast i want to thank our guests again john stanko sandra rose a great job a very long conversation there was a lot happened last year and a lot of fun stuff it's amazing certain movies are basically non-existent so fun conversation indeed you want more good stuff like this podcast including my look at some New Year's resolutions for the New York sports franchises. Check out the blog over justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering, your favorite podcatcher. Find all our episodes there, including earlier this week, our conversation with Dan Wolken and Alan Austin. College football playoff, week 17 picks there. You also feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings as well. They help make this podcast even better going forward. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Mike Phillips on YouTube. The video version of this podcast will be up on YouTube in just a bit. You will also be able to see all individual conversations from previous podcast episodes up there as well. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. Coming up next week, we're going to get into the NFL playoff grind. We're going to recap week 17, set up the wild card round, do some NFL picks and more. Until then, happy new year, everybody. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.